All right, returning to the program as promised at the top of the show is uh, Russ Baker. We spoke with Russ a few months back about his excellent book, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. We enjoyed that very much as we do his website, whowhatwhy.com, and he wrote an excellent piece about this NPR uh, controversy and thought it's time that we brought uh, Russ back. We're happy to say... Welcome back to Radio Parallax, Russ Baker. Thank you very much, Doug. Good to be here. I, uh, I like, uh, you know, what you had to say about on your website about this turmoil at National Public Radio. You asked some questions that no one else seems to be asking about it, like, uh, like what's up with this GOP operative uh, being able to control the entire discussion? There are actually two articles uh, that you can find up on our website, whowhatwhy.com, and they're, they're kind of this, this sort of rolling... Uh, uh, awareness or dawning of what's going on here. So uh, in, the, in the first one, what I did was I, what, what really struck me uh, was that even if all you watched was the, this, this video uh, that had been released by these pranksters or uh, sting masters or whatever you want to call them, you know, you could, you could even watching that, you could question uh, some of the rush to sort of condemn NPR, and you could question the wisdom of NPR in basically forcing uh, their CEO and this top fundraising official out of the organization. Uh, uh, among the things that, uh, uh, that struck me uh, was that, uh, first of all, um, you, you couldn't tell what they had actually said because it was edited, and you couldn't tell, uh, you, you didn't really hear uh, the, the people involved with the sting saying something beforehand. You didn't hear if it was a question. You didn't hear exactly what they were responding to. There was a narrator that was sort of trying to contextualize these comments. And so, of course, I wondered, well, what, what actually were they saying in the larger sense? But the other thing, uh, one of the other things that I thought was very, very interesting was they're criticized because of things that they said about the Tea Party uh, uh, and about the Republican Party. And then I thought, you know, what is journalism? What is journalism supposed to be? Uh, you know, we, we are expected not to have no opinions, not to come to any kind of conclusions. We're supposed to go out with an open mind, uh, talk to people, look at things, and then tell our audience what we found. And that's a far cry from having no judgment at all on something as incredibly controversial uh, as the Tea Party. And, and, you know, I've met some of those folks, and I've been out at uh, some of those things, and I don't think it's that crazy that this man uh, felt that there were at least quite a few people involved in that who had some sort of uh, narrow-minded views about people of other races. I mean, their own signs, the, the whole kind of Obama, you know, nativist movement, I mean, all of that stuff reeks of it. And anyway, if, if this is a private conversation with donors and they're making some, as you say, observations uh, you know, that are uh, apparently justifiable opinions, why should that be something that has someone should be fired for? It's crazy. Right. Well, and also, I mean, it's important to keep in mind that these two people who are actually on this film, these NPR people, they're not even journalists. They're just fundraisers, and, you know, it's basically a sales call, and anybody, you know, I, I've been in sales, you know, anybody who's ever been in sales knows that what you do is you, you talk to people that you need something from, and you say things to them that will make them inclined to give you their business. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't, ex it wasn't exactly like they were talking to, you know, members of the Nazi party or something like that. I mean, they were, they were talking to people who were pur purportedly 
from some sort of uh, uh, Islamic uh, organization. And by the way, even the sort of claims that you know, making it sound as if these guys, these there was this you know Islamic radical organization. I mean, it wasn't. They didn't really present themselves as particularly radical. So, so that was deceptive. But, but you know, then I went further, and I and I was thinking, boy, you know, I I'd love to see uh, the outtakes. I'd love to see see the whole tape. And so, uh, I then uh, found that there the whole tape is out there. And so, if you go again to our website, whowhatwhy.com. You can actually link around, and it turns out that of all people, it wasn't the mainstream media and it wasn't NPR that got to the bottom of this thing. It was a conservative news site, which was fair-minded enough that they had one of their people look at this unedited original video, and she concluded, amazingly, when you think that this conservative website, which is called The Blaze, is apparently funded by Glenn Beck. (laughs) And yet, and yet, this site said, no, you know what, these people were misrepresented. What they said was nowhere as bad as it appeared in the edited tape. Uh, and a lot of the things were taken out of context. And so in my article, what I do is I go through and I sort of summarize my own uh, conclusions about uh, what I saw from what the Blaze did. Well, this, this is ironic indeed, Russ. We've got somebody funded by Glenn Beck actually being honest about this and, and you talking about it. And yet... NPR itself seems to be uh, acting as though it's guilty as charged of some sin. Uh, their, their top person has uh, stepped down, p- possibly partly in wake of the previous uh, flap over Juan Williams, etc. But it's like, why isn't someone do- why isn't someone coming forward to like do what you're doing and explain that there's more to the story? I, I just think that that NPR would be much more uh, likable, even people who don't agree with them, if they had strong people who came forward and said, you know what, we don't need you to like everything we do. Uh, And we are not going to censor all of the individuals who work for us in every conversation that they have with everybody. Uh, Folks have to live with that. This is a free country. And let people say what they want, you know. And, And I think that if they did that, probably even people who don't necessarily share those sentiments uh, expressed on that edited video would say right on, you know, uh, bravo, uh, you know, showing a little bit of uh, gumption. So I, I think NPR is is weak. They've gotten weaker over the years. Uh, I've I've been very disappointed with their coverage of most uh, major controversies. I I dare say they they uh, I, I still think they're better than some of the uh, you know fully corporate funded media, but but only marginally. And I think this is why increasingly people turn to independent shows. I assume yours is independent, where they can have hear much more uh, vigorous conversation of the sort that they're, that they're not getting there. So I think they're at fault. And, and then, of course, all these big you know media, the uh, the, the networks, uh, the major newspapers and stuff, they have not done their job in assessing what this thing was really about. And to me, the story actually is not what these people said, but the motives and the backing of this fellow James O'Keefe who keeps setting up these things on vulnerable institutions. You know, this is the third or fourth time he's done this. He did it with ACORN, uh, you know, and then, of course, you remember the woman, the agriculture secretary, uh, official who was forced out of the Obama administration, something she didn't say. Van Jones was forced out for something where he was misrepresented. There is this concerted effort that is backed by very wealthy interests 
to uh, to marginalize all these things. Planned Parenthood is another. This O'Keefe did his thing on Planned Parenthood. They're looking for the weak link. In other words, you can't condemn the overall organization, which has thousands of employees. So you try to find one or two or three of them, and you keep going until you can get somebody to make a mistake. And then, of course, that has exploded out. Uh, you got a lynch mob, and then these organizations are like running for their lives. Well, Russ, it doesn't seem to be an accident that there are all these ta- attacks are going on in all sorts of institutions that um, these folks don't like. And I noticed that in, uh, yesterday, um, Orrin Hatch of uh, Utah, Senator Hatch has come forward talking about how maybe it is time to uh, to stop funding the, uh, the corporation public broadcasting. So, I mean, they're achieving their ends here in in, in the arena of public of public opinion. Yeah, and and it's interesting because at least the CNPR I think only gets. Uh, about 10% of their monies uh, uh, from uh, the government anyway. Uh, they used to get a higher percentage, but it's been reduced steadily over the years. I'm sure it's the same with PBS, uh, both parts of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And so it's, it, you know, the fact that they would be intimidated and weaken their content, which I think they've done for years, when most of their money doesn't come from these outfits anyway. The other problem, of course, is these places get... Uh, money from these big corporations, where you, you, you've seen it over the years. You know, originally they had no ads, and then they had, uh, they just, you know, would say this was sponsored by, but they wouldn't have an ad, and then now they're they're basically ads. So, so they've become more and more. I mean, in a sense, almost indistinguishable from, say, CBS News or something like that. Uh, and and this just shows that we need uh, fully independent journalism. Uh, that's also why I started Who What Why dot com. Uh, who at Why is a nonprofit, and uh, as of right now, all of our money uh, is coming from individuals who get absolutely nothing from us except the satisfaction that they're seeing people doing stories that aren't being done elsewhere. Well, I want to just put a plug in too for We Get Heard, where well, We Get Heard, Russ, uh, KDVS, a community based station in Davis. We're also heard on KZFR up in Chico, another community based radio station, and, and no one ever tells me uh, what, what I can cover. Which means that uh, you know uh, we can talk to people like you, and we certainly need more of this. Uh, absolutely, and I mean, thanks to the internet, it has become increasingly possible uh, for people to find other voices and to choose and to uh, and to seek knowledge. And so, um, you know, so long as they don't pull the plug on the internet. By the way, we we ran an item recently on our site about uh, proposals by thinkers connected to the military to start. Uh, regimenting the internet, so I mean, I think that's another uh, area we've got to monitor very closely, and be concerned about, because you can uh, you can assume that whenever there's a flowering of voices and uh, the real the fostering of any kind of real democracy, that those who uh, have outsized influence uh, will begin looking to see what they can do to stop it. We're speaking with investigative journalist Russ Baker. He's the editor of the whowhatwhy.com website, which has been uh, been on top of a lot of important stories. And Russ, I want to talk about a few other things that are on the website since we have you here today. You have an interesting piece here that you wrote with Christina Borgeson, who was on a couple weeks ago, about uh, the American University in Iraq, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, this is a place that, uh, unless someone's read our article, they've probably never heard of. Uh, I was quite surprised to find that there was a place called the American University of Iraq, and I thought, well, what is that doing there? And what are the, you know, what are they doing? How who was it founded by, and why, and so forth? Uh, and this place is up in uh, in the Kurdish region. Um, and as we began digging into it, what we found was that uh, it came out of a group of people connected into the neoconservative circles 
friendly with Rumsfeld, uh, Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney's wife, uh, um, uh, and uh, and other you know key figures in that pantheon. And so, of course, thinking that this is going to be representing uh, America in a sense, and also fostering certain values in young Iraqis and young Kurds, uh, one wants to know more about it. And so we did do this whole dig. Uh, I'm sure there isn't time here to go in, in great detail. But uh, very clearly, uh, there would have been no such university uh, if that region up there was not absolutely full of oil. And uh, you see, for example, um, one of the uh, then officials at the university telling me about uh, how they really hoped that they would be turning out graduates who could fill uh, various kinds of management and other functions in the burgeoning oil industry up there. Um, so, you know, this again just points to the, the issue of why are we in Iraq? Why did we get into Iraq? Uh, other stories on our website talking about that, as you may recall, Doug, in my book, Family of Secrets, uh, I reveal in exclusive interviews with George W. Bush's uh, co-writer from a book they wrote uh, when Bush was first running for president. Bush confided in him that if he was elected president, uh, the one thing that was really on his mind was his goal of invading Iraq. And he had told his co-writer that the reason he wanted to invade Iraq was not any of the reasons we've heard before, but that he had become convinced simply that uh, uh, being involved in Republican politics over the years as an advisor to his father, uh, he had become convinced that you simply could not have a successful presidency if you did not launch a war. And, of course, this is a significant revelation because I do believe this is true. I think this was in his mind. He had seen what had happened with Maggie Thatcher, what had happened with Ronald Reagan and his father, launching small wars. Uh, that were very easy to win. He obviously miscalculated badly with Iraq. Um, and then, and then this, uh, some other revelations have come out, another piece on our site, Who, What, Why, uh, about um, uh, a payoff for a close friend of Bush's uh, who is in the oil business, uh, who actually sort of brokered the relationship between Bush and Blair, which further explains the invasion, because I think we always wondered why did Blair go along, and that has never been properly, uh, properly delved into. And this kind of goes into this backstory of the personal relationships, the relationships between both men uh, and oil interests in their countries, and payoffs down the road, both in Iraq and now, amazingly, in India, a place we didn't even know uh, had oil. Uh, the man who put Bush and Blair together now getting uh, contracts and making oil deals in on a, on a, on a deal uh, uh, with the... Um, uh, with a uh, Indian government state-run company. So these sound like obscure stories. They absolutely are not. They're very, very central to understanding the motivations behind all of these things. As, as someone uh, put very well, uh, 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 war and policy are often just an excuse to do business. <laughs> Well, Russ, one article I was really intrigued by, which you've kept up for all, over a year now, was you took a look at the Obama administration after one year in office and had to some um, conclusions about how, how boxed in Barack Obama really is. And, of course, I've been having quite a debate with numerous friends as we inter- we're now entering our third year of the Obama administration. People are very disappointed at the fact that so much of his policy uh, has not been the reversals that were promised when he was, uh, when he was in the campaign. You know, what that gets to is, is uh, what uh, uh, Peter Dale Scott calls deep politics. You know, it's, it's about the, the, the deeper 
levels of power. Um, you know, presidents are transitory figures. They're people who come and go. They're, they're essentially ordinary people who got lucky or won enough approval, both from the public and from special interests, that they managed to, to win the sweepstakes. Uh, but to, to think that they are simply these, these uh, strong actors on the stage of history who can just do whatever they want is extremely naive. Usually uh, people who think that are people who don't read enough. Uh, and as you know, in my book, Family of Secrets, that's one of the principal themes there, that the Bush family, and not just them, but many other things, including the removals of presidents from John F. Kennedy to Richard Nixon, are about these deeper strands, uh, powerful interests, usually in banking and munitions and other areas, that uh, play the game and, and that have a tremendous amount of influence as they do really in every country, uh, uh, day in and day out. And the media almost completely ignores them uh, because they're worried too much about the conspiracy label. They, 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 they feel that uh, they, they need to kind of promote the notion that essentially the system works, uh, that people ought to, uh, you know, it's okay to go out and buy those consumer goods and see the movie and enjoy yourself, uh, all those things that keep all of these news organizations going through the advertising. They don't want to alarm people about how bad things really are, but of course nothing's really going to change until we begin to understand that it doesn't matter whether it's Obama or it's Jimmy Carter or it's Clinton uh, or it's Bush. I mean, it does matter, obviously, because they have very different policies, at least domestically. But on the big, big matters like war and peace, uh, major uh, policy toward major economic institutions, in these areas, how much difference do you see? You see Obama even keeping George W. Bush's defense secretary. I mean, there's been almost no comment <laughs> yeah, on that, right. how extraordinary that is, that a reformist Democrat who's basically anti-war keeps the main military guy. Uh, especially since, you know, there seems to be this connection to Robert Gates to the uh, infamous uh, episode of the October Surprise back in 1980 when uh, the Iranian hostages were uh, kept a little bit longer than perhaps necessary. And the evidence suggests that was done by Republican operatives to make sure that there was not an October surprise that would help Jimmy Carter. Right. He's very much a figure not only of the sort of permanent CIA, but of the, the Bush dynasty and then the, uh, the interests that control it. And so absolutely, there is some story there about why, with all of the people Obama could have chosen, he took Robert Gates. I've never seen anyone do it. Uh, our website, who, why, wasn't up and running prop, you know, fully at that time. Uh, as we grow, as we raise enough money and we can put more reporters on the case, we want to drill down into all of these things, both things that are happening right now and also the historical antecedents trying to understand how we got uh, uh, where we are today and why these decisions are being made. I mean, why, why did Obama, for example, take that, that crowd uh, for, you know, for Treasury, uh, uh, keep the same person in the Fed? I mean, why are, how are those decisions made? I, I never saw good reporting on any of that. Well, you know, you've got another piece here on, on your website uh, that, uh, that, that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, uh, going to the defense of Seymour Hersh, after being pilloried for making some connections between uh, some national figures and this, this or the secret organization, you, you dug into it a bit and said, well, they're, they're, you know, there's a lot of people that seem to be associated with these folks. Right. It's an outfit called the Knights of Malta, the formal name. Uh, I won't say the whole name because it's too long, but it's basically the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. Uh, and this is an outfit that uh, is um, very wealthy, very powerful individuals, Catholic, who uh, pledge their uh, loyalty to the Pope. And they actually have a, a ceremony uh, once a year where uh, a cardinal uh, inducts 
uh, new members, and, and you see a lot of uh, a big corporate executives and so forth. And, and these people are members all over the world. And there was actually a point where William Casey, the head of the CIA, was a member at the same time, the head of Italian intelligence, French intelligence, uh, I want to say German intelligence, and maybe even one other, were all members of the secret society uh, pledging its loyalty to the Pope. Now, you could say, well, I mean, is that really any different than people of any ethnic group having affinity for, you know, Israel or Ireland or something? Well, I think it's the secrecy of it, and I think it's the history of the Knights of Malta themselves. They've been around for a very long time, um, say a millennium, uh, and uh, they've always been involved in... Um, uh, big plays internationally that involved wars, that involved a huge seizure of huge amounts of land and great wealth. Uh, and so to simply laugh it off as just a bunch of silly guys wearing medals, I think, is, is foolish. We don't know exactly what it is, but obviously those individuals, like Bill Casey, uh, like William Simon, uh, the former Treasury Secretary, like Lee Iacocca, the former head of Chrysler, uh, all of these people, for whatever reason, um, uh, James Angleton, the famous uh, uh, head of counterintelligence uh, in the CIA, these people were all members of this thing. And, and they all think it's important. And they pledge secrecy and so forth. And, and Seymour Hersh sees some uh, of their interests in the so-called crusade uh, in the Middle East. And it's a very interesting point. Uh, he was ridiculed by Foreign Policy magazine. And we just thought, well, we'll set the record straight and at least explain to people what the background uh, of his remarks uh, uh, is and that he's, he's, not, he's not crazy. Uh, I, I was very impressed with a little mention you had in that article that the Knights of Malta have diplomatic rights in many countries, including the ability to bypass customs inspectors. So, I mean, this sounds, this sounds very James Bondian, but the, this stuff is sometimes stranger than fiction. Yeah, I, I first ran into the Knights of Malta in the early 90s when I was writing for the Village Voice and uh, was looking at a domestic charity run by a Catholic priest uh, where it turned out that he was uh, sexually molesting these teenage runaways. Uh, and then I looked at somebody who was on his board, and that man had his own relief organization called AmeriCare, as I just started looking at it, and then that seemed to have intelligence ties. It was um, you know, move, moving medicines around the world, but totally favoring, for example, the anti-Sandinista forces. Uh, and then we saw that, that the uh, AmeriCares was linked in with the Knights of Malta, which were their distribution partners all over, particularly, say, Central America, where at the time, if you go back to the, uh, uh, you know, the 70s and the 80s, there were those brutal counterinsurgency campaigns. And Knights of Malta was run in, in each of these places by these local landowners who were far-right figures, very, very wealthy, uh, and they were, they were involved with all this stuff, and clearly there are intelligence links to all of it, clearly. Well, I hope you continue to trace uh, some of those intelligence links out in that same article, uh, as you mentioned, in Family of Secrets. People don't realize that National Review founder Bill Buckley uh, was kind of a CIA political action specialist in Mexico City, where I believe he worked with the Watergate burglar uh, uh, E. Howard Hunt. That's quite, quite curious. Uh, that's right, and um, I do get into Buckley in my book, Family of Secrets. Uh, he also, uh, a, a devout Catholic, I don't know if he was a Knight of Malta, but he was very friendly with that same circle. Russ, you're doing some great work. We're going to remind people the website's whowhatwhy.com, and we hope that you'll be back maybe uh, sometime soon, because you're a heck of a pundit, and we want to hear more about uh, what you've been finding, and maybe see how this whole thing with NPR plays out over the next uh, month or two. Happy to do it. Thank you, Doug. All right, Russ.
is only a paper moon hanging over a cardboard sea. But wouldn't be make believe if you believe in me. It is only a canvas sky sailing over a muslin tree. But it wouldn't be make believe if you believe in me. Without your love, it's a honky tonk.